It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. We've got a huge gag and pod to follow a massive weekend of Premier League. One that many will never forget with Cristiano Ronaldo's second homecoming at Manchester United. Michael Bridges, Mark Schwartz and Thomas Sorensen are all on deck for this one. So much to talk about. Let's get started. Yeah, what a weekend it was. We often say what a weekend in the Premier League, but that is absolutely the case for the weekend that was with Cristiano Ronaldo's return to Old Trafford and goals going in everywhere, big results and a top four that so many people think will break away, starting to form and looking very, very hard to split right now. David Winner with you for another episode of the Gagan Pod to run through all of that. And with our all-star cast once again, Thomas Sorensen, Michael Bridges, Mark Schwartz. Great to see you all. Quick word on the weekend that was because, boy, it was fantastic. Are you still buzzing? Thomas, how are you? It was, it was, it, it was a moment, the weekend, that I think will go down that we'll remember for a long time. Oh, it was special. Uh, just sitting there, you know, watching it. Uh, you, you could, you know, through the screen, you could, you could get the tension, the excitement. Uh, you, could, you can hear the bounce of, of the whole of Manchester with uh, Ronaldo stepping on the pitch. And, and also great to see afterwards his emotions and, and, and actually being up front with how nervous he was, how special it was for him. <laughs> for him. And, uh, and to get the two goals just sealed it all off. Uh, yeah, it was uh, it was worth every every cent for for every every person involved. I'm sure. Yeah, it was every cent, and also it was great to see something that we we were all guilty of, but so many people were guilty of building up. Uh, it lived up. To, it lived up to the hype, Bridgie. It was it was box office deluxe. Yeah, it certainly did. And you know, like Tommy was saying, there Ronaldo absolutely magnificent return to Old Trafford. The Theatre of Dreams got their star on stage, and I just thought he was absolutely brilliant. He delivered. That was the high of the weekend. I think um, the low of the weekend has got to be the injury to Elliot against Leeds, the young man, and that brought back so many horrendous memories from my injury time at Leeds United when I saw that happen to him. Um, and that was the the low for me. Like you say, a weekend that I won't be forgotten. Um, um, for the right reasons and the wrong reasons, unfortunately. Schwartzy? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, Ronaldo, do, do we ever doubt it? Seriously? Mm. Like, it's Ronaldo, homecoming, going to Manchester United. It's like, a, a, you know, a relationship that's made up in heaven. Um, it was always going to happen. You would kind of think it was certainly naturally the the uh, the coming together at the end at some stage of Ronaldo's career, uh, rejoining Manchester United. Um, the thing that sticks out in my mind is when Brian Robson's comments post match talking about the atmosphere and the feeling within the stadium uh, reminded him of the time when Eric Cantona arrived at Manchester United. That was the feeling he had on the weekend watching. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo's second uh, debut for for Manchester United. I mean that 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 says it all. I think for me, um, that's that sounds incredible. I remember playing at Old Trafford. You guys will 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 know it as well. What the atmosphere used to be like, the the environment, the hostile environment. I think Newcastle were beaten almost before the game began. The atmosphere itself 
um, can be intimidating and it can certainly give the home side Manchester United an upper hand and it, many, it did many, many times before. It just felt like an occasion as well, Schwartz. We're coming through at midnight here in Australia. It felt palpable. I could actually sense the occasion. Um, maybe it was the huge number of people there, given where we're sitting at the moment. It just looked even more dramatic and more exciting. But it just I felt like it translated through to the screens. You could get that sense. And it was a football match, but it felt like it was an occasion all about an event, and that was Ronaldo. Now, we're recording on Tuesday morning. We will touch on uh, Everton against Burnley. Everton winning 3-1. That's just concluded as we record the podcast. Um, goals to Michael Keane, but impressively, Andros Townsend and Damari Gray as Everton came back from 1-0 down to beat Burnley 3-1. But we will touch on that in a moment because once we've started on Ronaldo, it's very hard to jump out of that and go into Burnley-Everton. We're going to continue on this theme. And Thomas, that theme of the grand sense of occasion, I'd love to get your guys' views or recollections of playing at that on that hallowed turf, and then in light of that, just how big, as, uh, how how momentous the day was with Ronaldo delivering on that theatre. No, but I think Swartz has said, you know, it, it's a, you know, there's there's certain grounds where, you know, you, you sense the history, um, obviously the the quality of, of of the players, and and yes, I I've played at Old Trafford uh, a lot of times, and and been been the victim of. Of, of those, you know, Fergie, Fergie minutes at the end of the game, you know, there, there was always something special, uh, you know, about the United teams of, of the past. And, and you know, me and Swartzy and, and Bridgie as well, you know, we played through, you know, the Skulls, the Beckhams, the Ferdinands, uh, you know, even back to Steve Bruce and Palestine. And, you know, those, you know, those eras where United, you know, if you got away with a point there, that that was like winning the, winning the championship. Um, and, and you could sense that that was back at the weekend for the first time in a, in a long time. You know, when whenever the, the camera was panning, you know, across, you know, the, the rafters, you, you could see it in the eyes of the fans, you know, that, that, that belief that, you know, the, you know, the, the, yeah, the history, uh, you know, the, the glory days of the past, uh, was it to some extent restored on that day? Can it continue? We'll have to wait and see because, uh, you know, this is a honeymoon period, obviously with, with Ronaldo, but, uh, you know, I think we, we still saw in the game when we, we probably dive into it a little bit more that uh, tactically they still got some issues in, in transition and, uh, you know, and where to fit all the, the stars in. But uh, yeah, the day and, and, and Old Trafford is back. Let, let's say it that way. Yeah, and I, and I think a lot of that is to do with, I mean, obviously the fact that Ronaldo's come back, of course, there's more attention, more hype. But if you if you think about Ronaldo as the personality, as the individual, the demand he puts on his teammates, and I think that's something that Manchester United have, have lacked over the last number of years. They've lacked an individual. They've had superstars. They've had big name players. They've had world champions, but who have lacked the ability to grab the team, the game by the scruff of the net and dictate it and almost lift the team in before they walk out on that pitch. And Ronaldo gives you that sense that he dem- the demand he puts on them from the minute he walks through that door is enormous. I-, I-, I got that feeling when I first arrived at Chelsea. The pressure from the minute you walk in through that door, firstly from the manager, Jose Mourinho, but secondly from the players that you had around you, the John Terry's front Lampard, Didier Drogba, Samuel Eto'o was there. Every single one of those players were used to winning. Ronaldo was used to winning. 
whether it's his own accolades, whether it's winning domestically trophies, whether it's winning champions, he, he knows what it's like to win and he demands it. And that's what makes him also so special and why he is a superstar. And I think that's what United have certainly lacked. The question is whether or not he can continue that, whether he can, um, that, that, that power that he has, that possession, the, 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 the ability that he has in his possession, whether he's able to continue that throughout the course of the season. I think he will be able to. I think he's so strong, so powerful, so influential that his teammates will be lifted and will go along with that wave. Rudy, did you want to add anything? I just thought it was funny, you know, you know, I love my food and drink and I thought it was funny to see a comment from some of the players at Manchester United mm-hmm. the, the night before on the Friday night, staying at the Lowry Hotel as they normally do, get themselves match prepared and with the dinner, one of them said, after we saw Ronaldo look at the desserts tray with a, a look of disgust, nobody touched them on the Friday night for the first time ever. So I think Swartz has just, just said that, what, what he does... Um, you know, has a, has a massive influence on the rest of the group as well. I just thought it was very, very interesting that the players had started to follow suit because they know how professional that man is. And if it's good enough for Ronaldo, then it'll good enough for anybody, mate. Yeah, that was so, the, key, so, the Lee so, Grant who said that. He, yeah, he actually came out and said that uh, we normally, maybe some people get a sneaky taste of something from the buffet, but everyone was looking around and no one actually went up yeah. after the main course. <laughs> On Friday night, the, 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 the rice pudding on a, on a Friday night. It, it used to be the best. I, I could never play Ronaldo. I think <laughs> same as me, Tommy. <laughs> that was the best ever. Uh, you know, the, the, no, uh, yeah, maybe it was good. We played at a different <laughs> different time. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's it's an interesting point though. He will um, raise the standards, and you even saw in the first probably half an hour, forty minutes, it did almost feel like there was a heightened excitement of. Players wanted to get the ball forward to him. Bruno Fernandes was looking, dinking balls and chipping every time he could possibly, you know, look up and find him. But you can almost see Thomas that that even just in the sense of wanting to live to the occasion in this first game, that he will raise not only the standards off the park, but in in that game, you know, one all against Newcastle, maybe in the past or, or nil all when they were struggling to break them down. Maybe last year there would have been the same old same old from Manchester United, but just having that little extra dimension, that world-class winning mentality, he can raise those around him. Do you, do you think that's, that's, I mean, it sounds cliche from us sitting, for me sitting here, but it, it is something tangible, isn't it? It's, it certainly is. I think, you know, Swartz said it as well. I think when you've got players and we've all played in teams, when you, when you have extraordinary players with that attitude, you know, everyone else follows because nobody dares not do it. Um, you know, you look at the team, you've got obviously Bruno Fernandes, Pogba, who, who's probably the second ones in line, but yeah. I, I still doubt that they have that personality that Ronaldo has. And, and you could see it in the game, you know, his drive, uh, you know, even though he had a bit of a, a scoff where he sort of from a, you know, from an angle tried and he, you know, other players, you know, would have been a bit embarrassed, but Ronaldo was, just brushed it off and, and he was, you know, he was straight onto it again. And uh, yeah, he got a bit of luck. I think Woodman will, will be, Pretty disappointed with with the two goals. Uh, yeah, I think he's he's even come out and, and said afterwards that uh, you know he probably gifted them. Um, but again, 
that's what Ronaldo does. You know, he, he, he takes whatever is given to him. You know, he's he, he, just the first goal. Like how he, he sort of spins off the defenders, how he's recognizing the opportunity before everyone else. I think that, that sums him up. Yes, it's a tap-in, but, but everything that goes on before that is top class. Yeah. Um, you know, his movement, his recognition of, of space and, and where the opportunity could, could come. I think it's, it's what, uh, you know, everyone else will, will, will follow on. They were the two big moments that stood out for me. It was his anticipation for the goal. Tommy, like you said, the first one to react. He just, he reads the situation. And then the second goal, the way he opens up to make his run, Sanchez has gone high and wide. Uh, Sancho, sorry. He's gone high and wide and taken the wing back with him. That opened up the gap a bit bigger for that space to for Ronaldo to exploit. But the way he opened up his run so he knew he could get the pass, it was it was giving the player the idea of, I'm in here, There's I've opened the gap up for you, play the ball. And then when he takes his touch uh, in the finish, it's just absolutely sublime because he's going at full pelt. And the pace that he was going at is just phenomenal at his age. And um, yeah, he, he he just delivered on the day. And I, it was interesting, my daughter, um, had said to me, do you think Ronaldo will be nervous? Here's one for you. And I said, Ronaldo be nervous, Sadie, on his return to Manchester. He's played in the biggest games in the world. This will not affect him one bit. And my daughter's obviously 14. And after he got on, he scored the two goals. I remember I just said to him, I said, see? But then we saw his interview. And afterwards, Ronaldo actually said he was nervous, which I could not believe. I thought it just made him human. Um, and it was, it was just a great moment. So my daughter's got one up on me there for the for the expert punditry as we call it the, the question is though Bridgie is Ronaldo able to do it at one of your favourite places at Burnley on a, on a midweek game can he do it at Burnley I think well yeah great question does he really want to be there and turn up I'm going to say yes because I think mentally he can get through it will some of the others no some of the others won't be uh, you're right that's where that's the big question I think he, he he can that was the big moment for him that opening up um, I'll tell you what though I was I was pretty disappointed Swartzy and um, and I have been since he's every time I've seen him the man that was doing so well in the Bundesliga Sancho I didn't think he he, he didn't look like he had the confidence to take players on or he didn't, it, it wasn't, wasn't a, a great performance for me. I know he was outshone by Ronaldo, but I was very disappointed in Sancho. Yeah, he's, he's, he's struggled at the moment uh, to find his groove, to find his rhythm. And I don't know whether, when he went, you know, when he went to, to Dortmund, obviously he was an unknown, uh, unknown quantity. Um, I think little, little expectation. And then he found his rhythm. I think he was very much at, at ease and, and happy with the group of players, and, and and it slotted in very, very well. He had a bit of a, a bit of a down period last season, but part of that was to do with injuries as well. I think the natural thing of the second season syndrome, trying to pick himself up, living up with expectation, and then he then he delivered again towards the back end of the season. Now United. You know they've paid a huge amount of money for him. There's a huge amount of pressure on his shoulders, and and that this this is a make or break period for him. It, it's going to take him a bit of time. You know, listen, he's a top top quality player, but just because he's a top top quality player doesn't mean he's going to be a huge success at Old Trafford. We've seen many many players in the past who have had amazing ability have gone to big clubs and struggled. I mean, one Sebastian Veron is a great example for me that always the first player that I kind of think about it goes to, to, to Manchester United being an unbelievable world-class player in Italy and coming to England and really, really struggling. And I don't know whether Jaden Sancho will, will fall in that category. Only time will tell, but he's, he's certainly a top quality player, um, but he's got a lot of work to do. 
Yeah. I, I think personally, I think the Ronaldo signing will help him because I think it'll just take a little bit of the pressure of him. Um, you know, a little bit. I, I think we, we're seeing a little bit similar to what we saw with Havertz last year at, at Chelsea. You know, you're just that young player, big money, a lot of expectation. And, and he's got to be given time to settle in. You know, he, he wasn't a big factor at the Euros, uh, you know, you know, only played marginally. I think he needs to get used to just being, you know, on the pitch regularly with with the pressure, and and he needs to get a couple of goals. I'm sure he'll be off to the races. Uh, you know what I think is also it, it, it has to do with whether or not Oli Gunnar Solskjaer wanted him or not. Because you see, with with uh, Van der Beek, it's clear that Oli Gunnar Solskjaer didn't want him because if it had he wanted him, he would have played him more often, and he gives him so little game time. So. We've seen it in the past, I think, anyway, that, that that he's not necessarily in total control with the players that come and go at the club. So is Jaden Sancho a player that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer desperately wanted or not? And that will depend on whether how much time he really gets, whether or not Solskjaer is more patient with him, gives him more time uh, to adapt to, to slot into that position. I mean, I think it'd be mad not to, mm. um, but stranger things have happened. Well, it was the only time I've seen Woodward in the stand with a smile on his face in the last God knows how many years going, yeah, we got our man, we've delivered. And it was the first time the Glaziers were actually there taking part in the party. So you knew something special mm-hmm. was going on at Old Trafford this weekend when you see the Glaziers there. So on, on Sancho then, because um, that's part of, you know Ronaldo's going to deliver. Even in Ju- at Juventus, when you know Allegri arrives and says you're surplus to requirements, he actually still delivered. It's almost about the moving parts around it. And we, we have spoken about it at length in the last two episodes. So we won't go into it again and again and again in detail. But the Sancho part is interesting, isn't it? Because Solskjaer has to get it right, whether it's because he doesn't, he doesn't, it wasn't his signing or how he wants to fit him in or what way he wants to play. But the moving parts around him, Schwartz, is what Solskjaer has to get right. From the first impressions of what you saw, is that the template going forward? You know, Newcastle did have some running in behind uh, Pogba and... Um, Pogba and Matthew at times as well. How does Solskjaer tackle the other aspects? Because that's arguably going to decide if this works or not. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's like anything. It's finding balance, finding the right combination of players. And Jane Sancho has shown when he's at Dortmund that he's prepared to do the work going back as well because that was demanded from him. So it all comes from the manager, what he demands from his players. Ronaldo, you know you can't expect Ronaldo to do a lot of work going back because you need him to conserve energy. You need him to be that number nine. He needs to be that out-and-out player. He will do some, but he won't do as much as, say, even a Cavani. Because Cavani, that's his player. That's the way he works. His work rate is absolutely exceptional. Um, Jaden Sancho, I think Manchester United, they're going to have to work backwards, you know, in, in defence. The thing is, whenever you are in a lot of possession, when you are more attacking-minded, you, you've got to expose yourself. Liverpool did it against Leeds on the weekend. They're going to leave opportunities to the opposition. The question is whether or not they're good enough, whether or not they have the ability, the, the calmness, to then, when they do actually have possession of the ball, to do the right, the right thing with it, to, to be calm enough to play the right balls and then once they're in front of goal, to execute their opportunities. I mean, we saw it with Leeds on the weekend that an unbelievable chance at 0-0. Rodri should have scored didn't score, and then that's game over effectively for Leeds United. Had they scored, the game changes. It's the same thing when they're playing against Manchester United. We were talking about briefly about what it's like playing in Old Trafford against Manchester United in the past, how difficult it is. Must and, take and your chances. 
you've got to take your chances. Absolutely. You've got to take your chances, especially as a, a lower team. Um, you've got to take those opportunities because you know that they're going to have abundance of opportunities. I've got to say, Dave, I'm going to give the Newcastle supporters a little bit of hope um, because I thought Almiron and Maxim were absolutely magnificent on the counter-attack. And I think if they get Callum Wilson back in this play with that kind of endeavour, they will pick up some results. Um, and the disappointing side for them was seeing Joe Linton, the 40 million man, going up against Cristiano Ronaldo, who they got for 25 million. Um, Joe Linton, yet again, ceases to amaze me how, he, how he's actually playing um, or be, being given a chance there because he was the only one in that front three that I felt had let Newcastle United down but going forward I, I think that the transition moments were brilliant for, for Newcastle when you're doing that against Man United and if they've got Wilson in there I think they'll take the chances so a big game next weekend against Leeds United which is at the minute at the bottom of the table um, a massive six pointer So you're not as downcast Bridgie on Newcastle because the tone again it always happens it flicks about this time of the season it becomes a bit more yeah. grim again and the circle of, of doom and gloom arrives over, over that and Steve Bruce has to fend off questions from the media asking why yeah. he went on a quick vacation and, and, and all the stuff going off the field at the club um, you're not you're not subscribing to that yeah, you, you sort of think that, right, you know, no. that United game, you can, there's still some hope for Newcastle this year? Yeah, there is some hope. Like, you've got to take your chances, and they created a lot of chances. If there's anything to go by, you'll have Almiron with his pace on the left-hand side, Maximum on the right-hand side, or vice versa, and Callum Wilson up top, and it's the supply line going to them defensively when you get that many numbers back behind the ball. There is the odd mistake that's happened. I think, um, obviously, Tommy mentioned the goalkeeper coming out and saying, you know, he felt that he was at fault. But, you know, they've, they've gone through a few goalkeepers at this moment in time with injuries and suspensions in the COVID cases with um, trying to get back as well to full fitness. So, there, but there was really, really good signs from Newcastle United. And Steve Bruce has got a deal not only with the the media from the playing group and the playing style. He's got to deal with all the stuff going on where the fans are still against Mike Ashley and what's going on up there. Um, but if there's anything that that game, I thought there was a lot of positives for Newcastle United. So the big one will be next weekend. That is a crunch match against Leeds United. Problem with Newcastle United is midfield. John Joe Shelby, as much as there are moments of brilliance and you can see why he was at Liverpool, you can see why people kind of had an eye on him. There are so many other elements where you think, okay, you know why he's no longer there. And he only was a bit part player at Liverpool. Um, their, their biggest problem is a midfield for me, Newcastle. But I, I, I agree with Bridget. I, I think they'll be fine. I think Steve Bruce's experience, yeah. listen, I, I think he cops untold amounts of abuse and he should never, never be getting that sort but of for, for no reason as well, by the way. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, you, you look at what he's accomplished at, at Newcastle over the last couple of seasons. He's, he's accumulated more points, finished higher up the table than, than Rafa Benitez, but Rafa Benitez is God. Whereas, whereas Steve, and, and, and let, let me add as well, Rafa Benitez didn't play exciting football. Yeah. It's not like, you know, it's not like there were two completely different styles of football between the two and that, that Steve Bruce is this boring old sort of school style of football. Absolutely not. I don't think there's much in it. In, in, in fact, Steve Bruce has been more successful in Newcastle, yeah. and I think that's that's pretty pretty obvious. And I thought he would have got a lot less stick because he knows the region. He said, you know, uh, he said he's living his dream being the manager of this football club. 
I just think because of all the crap offside um, that the fans have with Mike Ashley and and what's been going on there, I feel for Steve Bruce and his staff there. But they're getting through it, and this is a this is a huge huge season for them. And I think the way he handles himself and conducts himself, he doesn't bite back, he doesn't snap, he never loses it with the the media and the fans. You've got to respect that. Could like Swartz says, it's unjustified. So good signs for Newcastle United going forward. What's good? I, I, you, so go, no, sorry. Yeah, no, I agree as well. I, I think, you know, also, I think it showed at the weekend, you know, with, with Longstaff and, and Willock in there. I think, you know, the pace and the the, the energy that you get, uh, you know, I think is is a way forward. And and, and with Wilson back, I think it, you then, you know, St. Max, Maximin can, can then maybe be a little bit deeper. Um, and, and, you know, they will be playing on the counter t- attack. And, uh, you know, if they can get more consistent at the back, you know, the, we saw it, uh, you know, the mistakes at the weekend. You know, I think that's been the problem early on. I think they've yeah, they've just conceded too many goals. Uh, they need to shore that up. Then I, I agree with, with the other guys. I think that they should be okay. And I was just going to say, it was, it's good to hear actually a, a different tone because most of the, 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 the tide at the moment is, is trying to get that pile on that I guess you were referencing, Schwartz, the immediately after a few bad results, Steve Bruce becomes the, the whipping boy. And he actually stood up for himself in the press this weekend and actually had a crack at the local local media and said that, you know, you, you guys are creating this negative wave every time results go the wrong way. And, um, you know, I think, you, I think you're right with that. Um, so Maximum is one of my favourite players in the Premier League. There's, there's enough, I reckon, just to have a little bit of hope right now about Newcastle. But you, you mentioned, Bridgie, the game against Leeds. That is a big game if, if, yeah. if, we, if we look ahead. And, um, you know, 3-0 to Liverpool. There are teams that are going to lose 3-0 to Liverpool this year. But is there is there any concern with Leeds? No wins over the first four games. First time that's happened, I think, since the 50s in a top flight. In that, do you put those games against the big teams aside and go, look, we just we leads always have a crack, and that's what you know. There's a risk you're going to get exposed, or are there a few more concerns just starting to creep up a little bit for you? Oh, there's definitely a few more um, concerns because you've got to. There's there's nothing worse than playing catch up in the Premier League. You've got to get the the runs on the board early and last season Leeds United did they had some good results in their first five or six matches this season however completely different um, situation that they find themselves in when you have a look at that league table and, and the way the results have, have gone this season you know you're sitting down there you, Burnley Newcastle United Norwich um, and the only hope that is Arsenal are down there with them so Leeds United have got to pick it up and that's why I think next weekend is, is a huge huge opportunity um, or sorry such a massive match against Newcastle Newcastle United because that is the two of them sitting down there at the bottom of the table and I think what's what's happened this season uh, everybody got carried away at the end of last season I was I kept a a low profile I'll always talk about Leeds United I'll always talk them up I didn't big them up for this season to say that they were going to go and finish top half of the season I stuck by it and said this season is all about survival again you, last season was about staying in the Premier League it's the same scenario this season um, a great addition bringing James in it might take him a few weeks to get himself up to, up to speed and understand what Bielsa wants um, but there is definitely a few little hearts fluttering from the fans and I would think from the players because defensively they do not look as structured, um, but going forward, still as flamboyant as ever under Bielsa. We know how he plays. Is he going to change it? No, he won't. I heard, I think Swartzy had an interview with Harry Kuehl, and Harry was saying at some point Bielsa needs to change it up against other teams when he comes up against the big boys. That's not what he's done. That's not what he's ever done. He believes in his methods, his philosophy, his formula. Um, and like I say, I just think defensively look very, very dodgy compared to last season. 
Richie, I also th- think, sorry, I, I also think they were caught out a little bit on the weekend. So the Leeds United normally on that front fought high energy, pressing, closing teams down, don't give them time on the ball. I think they also got a bit concerned with the pace of Liverpool. So the game was stretched so much that all of a sudden the ground they needed to cover was so much greater. They were pretty much second best for most of the time. I, I mean, I, I wonder about the, Dan, the you know the, the Daniel James signing. I mean, Jack Harrison, I think he's done really, really well for Leeds United. So does does he does he lose his place for Daniel James? You know, yeah. is Daniel James necessarily a better or an improvement on someone like Jack Harrison? I don't see it. Um, I, I'm 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 certainly a little bit wide. I, I thought I thought on the weekend they just looked they looked a little bit jaded. They looked a little bit flat. Um, but let's. So what- Swartz, it was all down that left-hand side. The boy, Firpo, that's coming from Barcelona, the left-back, he looked an absolute... uh, He didn't know where he was. He looked shell-shocked. He was almost putting the white flag up to say, get me off. I I know what you're saying, right? I I get that, right? But listen, he's playing against Mo Salah, who is in incredible form. That Liverpool's performance on the weekend, let's not let, let, let's let's flip it around. Liverpool's performance on the weekend was one of their best performances probably in the last 12 months. That, that was a Liverpool of old. That was a Liverpool that won the title uh, a couple of seasons ago. And I thought they were exceptional. I thought any team would have struggled to deal with Liverpool on the weekend. Certainly that front three. I thought they were absolutely uh, exceptional. Yeah. Thomas? But, uh, yeah, no, the, the thing that worries me a, a little bit is, is uh, you know, I think you touched on it there, Swartier. Uh, just... Bielsa demands so much of his players, and and I think you you can sense that you know that's not the same energy that it was last season. Um, you know, again, there's a few new players. I know that, but you know, when you demand so much of your playing style, the the high intensity, it doesn't take a big drop off, uh, a little bit of a, a few cracks appearing, you know, within the playing group for for that to sort of you know not be what you want it to be, not having the success and 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 this is what i'm worried about for leeds is that it's it's just uh not the same as last season and that makes them yeah uh, uh, again a, a survivor instead of being someone who who were, were thinking of pushing for you know a european place which which there was talks about last season well that's what makes the newcastle game so pivotal as even a yardstick because liverpool as Schwartz alluded to, were immense. They were another level above, and, and Leeds trying to play the same game, pound for pound, were wiped off the park. And so the Newcastle game takes on greater significance. Schwartz, Liverpool were really good. And um, yeah. the front three we know are really good. Trent Alexander-Arnold, we know, is really good. But in Fabinho back in midfield and Thiago looking like he's starting to hit his stride, suddenly, that's why everyone's so excited about this top four, because it's another... Cog to Liverpool moving on. Well, the top five at the moment, Dave. Man City dropped out with Everton winning this morning. True, so true. actually, very true, very very true. <laughs> yeah, but but I, but I don't see Everton being there for much longer. Like you know, they'll be there for the. It's like last I, season. I don't see them. It's like last season. They won't be there for the entire season. So it, it is for me a top four. Don't you know, get the, the key way for me, Bridgie. Come on. Yeah, yeah. When you when when you look at when you look at Liverpool, and, and I know everyone talks about you know Salah, Mane, Josh, and I mentioned it as well, saying how how phenomenal they were, and they were. I I think what's crucial, what has been crucial for Liverpool, is obviously Van Dijk coming back, um, which then has a knock on effect. So Van Dijk comes back from injury. He looks like he's never been out. Doesn't look like he's had a serious injury. He looks incredible. Mm-hmm. Joel Matip looks like a different player next to him. 
And I think you people have underestimated how good Joel Matip has been this season. Um, let's hope he stays fit. And then the, the knock-on effect is Matip playing so well, but Fabinho pushing back in midfield. Mm-hmm. And I and I think that is and that was crucial last season. He he played obviously went Fabinho back as a centre half. They played RB Leipzig in the Champions League, and Fabinho was back in midfield. And even even Jurgen Klopp said talked about the fact that Fabinho was back in midfield and how world-class he is. And the next game he plays back at center half again and Liverpool struggled. So I, I think that knock-on effect, Thiago looks a different player with Fabinho next to him in midfield. I thought Thiago last season looked at all, you know, it all looked out of, out of his depth almost. Like looked like a player that was really struggling with the pace of the Premier League. Now with the likes of Fabinho next to him, Thiago looks a different level. He looks like that player that was at Bayern Munich. And I think that's key. There's a knock-on effect with Liverpool, even though they only signed one major one major uh, player this season and he's not even in the starting lineup. Liverpool effectively have had four or five new signings because of all the players coming back from injury. It, I didn't notice at the time, and then I watched the, the first goal back again when you know Leeds, after having a really good start, w- were broken open, and it is Matip who comes surging down the field. But what I didn't realize at the time watching it back was it was Fabinho who drops in to allow him to go yeah. downfield, and you just see all of these elements of like this team is back in sync. Yeah. And then there's been a lot of uh, the data come out over the last 24 hours about how good Thiago's performance was, and that um, a, while the game was at the Leeds held a skill to tempo at the start, he was able just to slow the tempo down and get it onto Liverpool's watch for a little bit longer. It, it, so. it's, it's, the same as, it's the same as Chelsea to a large degree. Jorginho looks an average player without Kante next to him. Yeah, because Kante does a lot of the rope, lot, lot of legwork. You know, Fabinho is the same. The reading and, and legwork that those guys do with the game is phenomenal. Is, is for a lot of people, unless you really, really watch those guys and see their contribution in the game, you can kind of almost brush over it a little bit mm. um, because they, they fly under the radar so often. Um, but they're so integral um, part of, the, of, of that machine. Harvey Elliott, he's, his ability, I mean, listen, there's no doubting his quality, right? There's absolutely zero doubting it. But the 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 ability for him to slot into that team is made so much easier because of the likes of a Fabinho, because of the Van Dijk, then obviously a Thiago next to him in that front three. The front three are playing so much better this season and it's no coincidence because of the way that the, the, the team is set up again with Fabinho in midfield and Van Dijk back at centre-half. So, Bridget, yeah, you want to... Sorry, so go to yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think when you're looking at all the big teams, yeah, I think you're looking at multipliers. You know, you're looking at you know, you Man City last year, they get Diaz, and suddenly it makes them a whole lot better defensively. You know, in all aspects. Uh, and again, well, well, I think well, sorry, just Liverpool. but you look at Fernandinho and Rodri. So like yeah, one yeah. of those two holding midfielders, Champions League exactly. final, he takes one of them out, and they look a shadow of themselves. Yeah, multipliers. Exactly. Uh, I like that. What is it? Yeah, no, it's multiple. No, yeah, no, Sorensen multiplier theory. Go on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but with, uh, you know, with it, tab. It is the- <laughs> yeah. Let's sneak that in as well. <laughs> Come on, get on board. Yeah, you know, but but it is it, it's true. You know, like uh, you know, Swartz explained it there with Liverpool. You know, it, it is a knock-on effect. So it, it is a, a multiplying effect that makes the team so much more better. You know, so much better than than the individual parts. Um, so uh, yeah, it's uh, it's very visible with Liverpool. I think. Look, one of the reasons why I think maybe I mean I even over, uh, overlooked some of those elements yesterday covering the game because of Harvey Elliott Bridgie. That that was the story. 
yesterday morning, on, on Monday morning. Um, and yeah, he has slotted in brilliantly for a teenager, but um, it, it's it was hard not to just think about that all of yesterday morning. It, it, it's a it's a it's a horrible blow, and, and he's got a he's yeah. got a big challenge ahead of him. But the support around him in the initial language where Klopp said, "We will wait for him." I mean, that's 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 a huge endorsement, isn't it? Yeah, it certainly is. And we're still waiting to hear out the whole extent of the damage. Um, hopefully the dislocation hasn't done any ligament damage because um, they're, the, they're the big ones if there's any snap or ruptured ligaments in there. We'll, we'll wait to find out. Fingers crossed that it's not. But when it happened, you could just tell. I knew straight away by the reaction of Mo Salah and obviously you could tell by the angle of the leg and Elliot's reaction. It was horrific. Um, and, you know, that, I, f- I really felt um, for strike that made the tackle mm-hmm. um, because it wasn't a malicious tackle. It was a tackle that he's he's got to go and put pressure on the ball. Bielsa demands that he's gone and tried to get in there. It was just the angle and the way the two of them fell together um, that actually added to added to the the woes of Elliot's um, injury. Uh, and uh, yeah, I felt from. But if he's in good hands, like you say, the club are talking him up. He's he's shown and proved what he can do in that midfield. And after losing Ginny Van Alden, um, you know that was a big big gap to fill. And he, he's gone in there and done magnificent. So we wish him all the best. And I just thought it was a lovely story to come out of that. Um, how he went to the the Leeds hospital or the the hospital that he was at. Sorry, and there was a kid in the bed next to him that had damaged his arm or broke his arm in his football match. And the next thing you know, he's got Elliot's shirt on and his football boots and it it just brought back so many horrible memories but fond memories of when I had my injuries well at Leeds and they actually took me to the wrong hospital at first the paramedics and when I got to the main hospital um, to, to get the operation done I didn't have any football boots left and the two paramedics had actually stolen the football boots off me and kept them off my feet and it wasn't until 20 years later via Twitter that somebody had sent me a picture of this football boot on their on the um, their fireplace above the fireplace in an enclosed casing. Michael Bridges, my daddy, was the paramedic that you give these football boots to. And I was thinking, I didn't give the football boots to him. He bloody stole them off us. Well, you, so, might have, you might have been off chops. You might not have remembered giving it to them. No, I definitely wasn't because my wife was in the in the um, back of the ambulance and she remembers them cutting the bloody um, get to get the Achilles tendon. They cut the cut the shoe off, the football boots off. Um, and yeah, it was never seen again until um, 20 years later. So there you go. I just thought that, you know, it was a nice story for Harvey Elliott and it brought back some a memory that I could look back on and laugh at a time of um, you know when it when it was the, probably one of the worst times of your footballing career so um, we wish them all the best it wasn't nice to see but it's the Liverpool department they've got an unbelievable medical team so um, yeah fingers crossed for the boy he can get over the, the, the mental grind and the hard work to get back to where he wants to be <laughs> can, we, can we agree that it wasn't a red card or is it just me I didn't I, think I, it was a red card. Uh, no, I didn't think it was either. No. Well, and, no, no. and not enough replays to have a look at it, right? Because no. it was it wasn't really shown afterwards. I, 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 no, it wasn't. I, I had a look at it again this morning, and it 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 looks absolutely nothing. Yeah, he comes from behind, like a yellow card it, it, max of of if anything. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's well, more the injury that that obviously makes it. Uh, you know. Well, I think after he's seen the injury and he's seen the leg, he's going, "Oh, that's a red card. I'll have to change that." It's. Yeah, if you look at the challenge, Tommy, I totally agree with you. That he had to go for that. He, or he make, makes a challenge. He hasn't two foot them to snap his ankle or anything like that. It's just the the coming together that there's been a... And I really feel for him because he's going to be hurting now even more, knowing the injury that he has put on that lad, Elliot, without mm. thinking, you know, like it's a red card as well, which makes you more guilty. 
I, I also don't think it's helped by, you know, when Jurgen Klopp came out, I know he's, I know he's emotional. He's very frustrated. He's obviously very, very disappointed, saddened for it to say that, you know, don't care about the red cards, the sanctions, you know, he's back in, in, in one week or two weeks playing games, whereas this kid's out for six months. And I, I think that's really harsh because I think it was completely yeah. um, an accident. There was no malice in it. It wasn't a bad challenge. I think it was about five or 10 minutes later, wasn't it? Fabinho did a very, very similar challenge on yeah. a Leeds United player. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and nothing, obviously no injury came of it. Um, so I, I think it's really, really, really harsh on him um, for a red card. And I think it's very unfair to point a finger at him because the, the, there was no intention whatsoever. No, I totally agree. Well, Klopp's been on the, on the warpath over a referee, the, the new interpretation where referees are, let, are letting a bit more go. I'm not saying this fell into the, that category, but it wouldn't shock to see this example come up if he keeps uh, up that rhetoric over the coming weeks and months about... Yeah. But it's, but it's not a bad challenge, you know. There's not even a reason to look at it and go, well, I'm letting it go. I think it's a, a foul. Well, it's, it's a foul at best, at best like, like Tom, Thomas was saying there, at best a yellow card. It's not a red card. And I think he's sent off based on the actual injury. He's not mm-hmm. sent off because of the challenge itself. And, and I, I know the effect it can have on players because I, I played with Ryan Shawcross at, at Stoke City and, and he broke, I think it was uh, Ramsey's leg, uh, you know, and that was an accident as well. But you know, Wenger came out, uh, you know, and, and, and hammered him. And, and, you know, he was really hurt because obviously it, it, it nearly hurt, like ruined Ramsey's career. Uh, and, uh, you know, he got blamed for it by Arsenal fans, by the media. Uh, so it, it does have an effect. You have to be careful. Like, uh, yeah. you know, I know Klopp, you know, is emotional, like you said, but but you have to be careful what, you, what you're saying until you've actually looked at the facts. Yeah, and he was emotional. Hey, on a positive, um, Schwartzy Mo Salah, well, you, you saw him at the start of his Premier League career, 100 goals later. A, a lot of people have asked, oh, did you think Salah would get to 100 goals? But I, I want to ask someone who was there at the start, did you think no. he would re- raise his heights and what's he changed to get there? And what no, was he like, what was he like at the start? Did you see, you know, the, the, there was he, something there? He's a 21-year-old kid that looked like a rabbit, you know, a rabbit in headlights, looked like he was in a different planet, let alone different country, and, and found the step up from Basel to Chelsea, I think, too great. And, and let's not forget as well, the pressure that Mo has had and has on his shoulders for Egypt. Mm. I mean, it's enormous, you know, Egyptian playing in the Premier League as well at the level that he's playing at, the club that he was at at Chelsea initially, then going to Italy um, was enormous. I think leaving the Premier League, I think the limelight goes off him a little bit and especially even also back home in Egypt. Um, so he's able to regroup. He's get, he's obviously learnt from the experience at Chelsea. When he was at Chelsea, no, I, I thought he was very raw. He had an enormous amount of pace but struggled finishing. He, he was he was a long way off uh, the, 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 the product that he is now, you know, the, the finisher that he is now. Um, you know, but... Uh, there's, I think there's a lot of players you can look at throughout their career was exactly the same. Um, where you started off very slow or you were nowhere near it and you, you, you blossom at a certain stage of your career and Mo certainly going to Italy. And he, I, I, I've heard many interviews with him, you know, afterwards talking about the fact that he was young, he was inexperienced, it was too early for him and he struggled with it. Going to Italy was one of the best things he could have done and he was able to, to regroup, to, to find his, 
to find his his way and to come back with a bang. And I, I also read, I also saw after the game, he said that he he feels like he's not on 100 goals. It feels like he's on about 98, I think, because he doesn't really count the time at Chelsea. And I think that's also to do with the fact that he had such a bad experience, a tough experience. And I feel like, I think he felt almost um, not embarrassed, but, but felt that, he didn't give a true reflection of, 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 of what he could have done as a player and how he could have been and how good he could have been. And obviously he's making up for it now. But when you're in a Mourinho dressing room and you see a young kid that's put in the corner or that's sort of being made to pay his dues, baptisms of fire, are there times you look around and go, oh, geez, he wasn't, he wasn't that bad. What's going on here? Or, or was it genuinely a case that he, he was not ready and he needed that experience to ha- kick on the way he did? You know what? I think he certainly wasn't ready. I think he struggled with the pressure. Um, I mean, he played, I couldn't tell you exactly the top of the head, but I remember he played quite a number of games in a row. He got, he came on quite a lot of times. And each time, he, in every game he played, he had a lot of chances. Um, and he would miss one-on-ones. He would miss the goal. He would, the goalkeeper would save it. And it just wouldn't fall for him. And the more that happened, the more he struggled with it and the more the, the, the weight on his shoulders grew. And I remember him, you know, coming in and, and getting taken off at one of the games last time. And he was, he, he, you know, he, he broke down because the pressure and the disappointment of it all was, 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 was overwhelming for him. Um, it was tough. And, Sport- and that environment is often the case. Single swim. Sporty, who was the number one goalkeeper at the time at Chelsea when you were there? Petr Cech. Petr Cech. So you had Petr Cech and yourself as goalkeepers. You see, the difference between Mo Salah being at Liverpool, they've never had two quality goalkeepers like that. So when you're going up against your second choice in the shooting practices, he's up against Swarty. It, it, you know, he, he's not, right. not going to score many. Swarty has damaged many a young kid's career Scotty by the Mac, amount Scotty of Mac saves. Will for that, exactly. Scotty Mack will vouch for that when he plays. Mo Salah's yeah, conference yeah. went through the roof when he was going up against Minnie And who was the other guy? Kyrgios, absolute shambles. So that's the difference. Yeah. No, no. What's, thanks, what's, thanks, Bridge. That's the nicest it, things you've ever said about what, me. What's, I know, what's, what's wrong with you? So what's no, oh, sorry. Wrong. Third choice. Third choice. Kudicini <laughs> yeah, no, wasn't there anymore. So there was uh, Hilario was the third choice when I first signed. Then the second year, uh, Hilario then uh, went into coaching and then there was me. I was number three. Courtois was one and Pedro was number two. Uh, there you go. So I'm just giving you a compliment, the first compliment I've ever yeah. given you, Swartz. You see, yeah, thanks, man. I'm, 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 I'm blushing. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's just your Spanish tan. Don't rub it in. Don't rub it in. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the." F- are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burnley did take a 1-0 lead on Tuesday morning through Ben May on his on a milestone occasion for him. But uh, Everton, impressively, a six-minute blitz, three goals. They go up 3-1. They enter the top four, as you said, Bridgie, off the back of Keane, Townsend and Gray. And I just want to talk about this because we've spoken about big money. We've spoken about all these great players, all these great signings. We've spoken about Rafa Benitez a little bit in terms of Newcastle. Truth is, right now, the t- it's the Townsend-Gray show. He's, he's signed 
cheap with purpose and so far they're delivering yeah i think he's been absolutely magnificent and you you i think what he's done he's looked at that team and he's thought, you know, they've, they've spent a lot of money over the over the seasons gone by. He's had a look at the quality that they've got. And, and Rafa's thought, I can get the best out of them by adding a little bit of pace and quality in the final third. And like you say, Townsend and the boy, Gray, has just been absolutely magnificent. He's having an impact in every game. He's been consistent. Um, and it's, you know, defensively, I think they've been a lot more structured and organised. Coleman has had the, the license to join in. I think he's been an unbelievable leader as well this season. There's a couple of things he's had to diffuse. One of them was the penalty um, decision with Richarlison and Calvin Lewin about who was going to take it. He handled that situation. And there was another one today when Rondon came on, who we all know as Rafa Benitez's son somehow, <laughs> and Richarlison's number went up. He looked disgusted. And Coleman again was like, mate, do yourself a favour. Listen, just, just do it. So everything, the only negativity I can say about Everton at this moment in time is Richarlison and his attitude. He's just, he seems like more of an individual and a selfish player than he does for that team dynamics. Um, but apart from that, you've just got to credit it because I, I think the balance with Decore and Allen in there, which we've seen on last season, they didn't have the balance. Rafa's given them something where he's given them a lot more organisation, a lot more understanding of what he wants. And it's allowed the front players um, like Gray and Townsend to, to get a little bit narrower um, where they can pick up the ball, like we saw from Townsend's goal today. Because if you've got Coleman on one side and Dina on the other side, who are making the overlaps out wide, Townsend can go and drift into more central areas, which is confusing for the back four, um, because you're playing against five attacking players. And Townsend's goal, when he picked it up, absolutely special. Probably one of the, I would say, goal of the season. Um, yeah, up the spot app. If you're just listening, you didn't what, think you were going to tune into Burnley Everton today. Amazing. Uh, up the spot social, must watch. Uh, and, and have a look at it, and have a look at his eyes on the goal. He's actually he's he's looking out to the left before he's, he never really looks at the keeper. So there, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of technique in it. Well, the big the big one I want to ask Swartzy is um, the main man that he picked up from the sign of the season was the Burnley signing, and it was uh, Corne. So he was on the bench. He didn't want to come on at Goodison Park. What what's what's going on with Burnley, Swartzy? That's that's where he, Sean Dyche got it wrong, so he didn't bring him on. So that, that's the problem. How do you have brought him on? Burnley would have won the game. Um, back to back to uh, cheeky bastard. Back to Everton. That's coming back uh, every Rafa, week. We're going to talk about Burnley yeah, again, but Rafa every Benitez, week this season now. Perfect, perfect man to bring into the club to to work on a budget. Everton have gone, no way in the world are we spending any money this season because yeah. we can't afford to because they've spent so much money. Andros Townsend, I think I've always been a, a, a fan of him. I think he's a, he's a really good player, someone that probably didn't quite get to the level he possibly certainly showed in his earlier days you thought he may really, really kick on here. Um, but I, I think he's a really good signing for him. Demari Gray, I was very uncertain about. I, I, I was with him at Leicester. Um, a lot of talent. Um, find, found it difficult, I think, taking on information. I think it was something that he that he struggled with. Um, was was pretty, I think, loose in his own style of play. He wanted to do his own thing. Um, and I think with Benitez, he's got a manager that just won't take any any prisoners. Mm. And I think Dimari Gray is also a little bit older and he's probably realised that he certainly hasn't lived up to expectation and, you know, his opportunities may be running thin and he needs to start to take them and listen and take information on board. And certainly so far at his, at his early stages at Everton, it's gone really, really well for him. 
Now, we've gone in depth on some really interesting games so far. Lots uh, uh, lots of other stuff happening in the Premier League. Thomas, Crystal Palace, they knocked Tottenham off to start the weekend. 3-0 at home. Great win for Patrick Vieira. He was never going to let Crystal Palace lose to Tottenham, was he? Um, other notable results, Arsenal getting that win that we all said that it had to get against Norwich City. Mikel Arteta strangely called it the most satisfying week of his entire coaching career. Um, Leicester City... Played well, but go down 1-0 to Manchester City um, and Chelsea beating Aston Villa 3-0, the Romelu Lukaku show. But that was probably a game a little bit tighter than the scoreline suggests, but shows the quality that Romelu Lukaku and Chelsea have in those decisive moments. An appraisal from the three of you, starting with you, Thomas, on the other notable aspects of the weekend that we should be focusing on. You know, I think, you know, some of the... The important things I think you've you've nailed. I, I think Tottenham. Uh, I think for me, were a shambles. Yeah, no, they they've had a great start. You know, with three obviously one nil wins. Uh, not all been a impressive. deceptive start, Thomas. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, and again, you know, I think the question marks have to be. You know, obviously Son. You know, how how bad is his injury? Because there's there's sort of different things coming out that it could be a, a longer term and, and you see the importance especially in that transition I think uh, you know Lucas Moura you know that there wasn't that connection between Harry Kane and and, and Deli Ali and, and Lucas Moura I, I think that that was lacking I, I think they were just uh, you know out muscled I, I think the effort from, from Crystal Palace was superb I think Gallagher I think was uh, unbelievable on the day Koyate in, in midfield you know so you know I think it, <laughs> There's worrying signs there that yes they are at a good side, but but if if Son is is out for for a while, I, I can't see them staying in contact with that top four. The, the difference is I'm going to defend them to a degree. The difference this week, like you said, Son was out, Bergran was out, Sanchez was out at the back as well in the defence. Tanganga, who was the right back, had to come and play in the centre alongside Dyer. Dyer got injured early on in the game; he was taken off. So there was so many disruptions. Red card then as well. The red card. There was so many, but. Even before the red card, Dave, I've got to say Crystal Palace were dominating this game and they were absolutely making Tottenham look like they were a bottom half of the table team. But that comes from the Palace were definitely up for it, but all the disruptions that came for Tottenham um, in that selection process, when you've had that dynamics of the team winning, when you take four players out of that starting lineup, it's going to affect any team um, when you're making that kind of changes and then losing another centre. And I really felt for the boy Emerson Royale and he's and he's um, you know the sign that right back coming up against Zaha who have just made him look a, an absolute fool. He didn't look like a Royale player. He looked like a pile of crap to be fair. Um, so there was a there was a there was a lot of things that I can defend Tottenham for. But when you look at the stats and you look at the performance, it, it was it was not acceptable. And they have Chelsea what, at the what, weekend, what, then. Yes. Why are we even why are we even talking about Tottenham seriously? Because <laughs> I thought I thought Palace were very, very good. They were, they were magnificent. Yeah. Yeah, yeah let's forget about Tottenham because Tottenham are gonna be what Tottenham do, and they'll finish probably about sixth or seventh if they're lucky this season, right? Um Harry Kane obviously still not happy and understandably that he didn't get his move. Deli Alley, the, the knives are out straight away. They won three out of three, they lose one, and okay, they did get thumped and they get beaten by Crystal Palace. All of a sudden the the, the fans are turning, Alley, Winks, Skip, they all need to they need to be bombed out of the team. They're not good enough. But I thought, but, you know, talking about early on in the season, Deli Ali was a revelation under Nuno Espirito Santo. So, listen, you look at Palace, Conor Gallagher, what a signing he's been so far. Yes. I think he's been very, very good for them. Um, I think 
Vieira, I, I was very doubtful whether or not he'd be able to get the right mix with his Palisade so far. You know, that performance, obviously it's only one performance, but it's a great performance and it's one that hopefully will kickstart their season now. Um, Swartzy, I would say it's the best I've ever seen them in possession of a ball playing out. Yeah. Yeah, and and, and possession. Not not to pick up my my countryman, but but Anderson at the back, superb signing. Do you you think he's that good, Thomas? Yes, I think he is. Obviously, I saw... Denmark's both both games, uh, you know, three games yep. in the Euros now, and now he's playing now alongside Christensen and and Kier in a, in a back three. If you know, he surprised me, you know, and even with the ball, you know, I thought he hit some some great diags at the weekend against Tottenham. Uh, he just looks confident and, and and assertive, and he's physically strong. I rate him. I rate him. And the strikers union just finish off this this moment. Because there was a striker came on in Edward who coming from <laughs> Celtic and just lost his main man. How he got his move after his miss in the derby for Celtic Rangers with his right foot when it came off his heel. I'll never know how he got the move, but it was all his head was, don't we? Oh, we, he had already gone. He'd already gone to Palace. But man, this guy came on and you could see Ben Teke walking off. He's going, all right, let's see what you've got, mate, because I can't seem to score anywhere. And 28 seconds later, he puts a touch and a, and a shot he shouldn't have even got away. That's the quality of the man. It doesn't take him much. And he did it. And the confidence grew from that. And he got a second goal. And I thought it was... It was was fantastic. I, had, I did have a little chuckle because the camera panned around to the bench and you saw Vieira like absolutely delighted with his staff. We've got our man and you could just see over the shoulders Ben Teke thinking, where is my career gone? Like, I'm done now. So it was a huge moment and I just, I'm looking forward to seeing this guy. Yeah, but wait until he plays against some better opposition. Let's be honest. Oh, wow. Here we go. <laughs> right, moving on. <laughs> I'm not, I'm going to throw one more dagger in Bridgie and it's a yes or no because we're running out of time but I, I am fascinated by this. Is even if Spurs get those players back, and they will, is Nuno uh, is Nuno's game plan yes. their light this year? Yes, no, it, no. I'm having him far better, and I like him. It's a better project for him than it is for was for Mourinho. Okay, watch this space. Yeah. So we we wrap up with the table, and this is how tight it is: Manchester United, Chelsea, Liverpool and Everton all on 10 points um, and the top three all with a goal difference of eight Manchester City hovering just outside Brighton level with them and Spurs with West Ham a point behind hey Strikers Union you mentioned it Golden Boot Race there's some contenders this year Do you, are you, as, have you been as excited by a cohort as- you do as a favour I'm trying to understand what that word means because I've just googled it what's that one what cohort? cohort yeah oh, give us an idea come on no, it's, it's, is, it's a new, old, is he a new player that's signed for Burnley? <laughs> <laughs> I think you'll find... Is it not an old military term of... Today's uh, lesson with Dave. We're going to go... Okay, everyone, cohort, group of group, group collection of people, collection of players. So the cohort of the strikers this year is Ronaldo, Lukaku, Salah, Kane, Vardy, and so on and so on and so on. Thank you for clarifying that, Dave. I, I, I didn't want to use Google. Um, I wanted to hear it from the horse's mouth. Thank you. Hey, uh, you know, it's just uh, gonna, a bit of Eng- gonna, English lessons there yeah, as well. we're going to learn something. <laughs> Never stand still. The cohort of the Premier League strikers this season is absolutely mouthwatering. There you go. Anyone okay. bold enough to make a call for who's going to be the golden boot? Lukaku. Yeah, Lukaku. Yeah, we haven't even talked about Ronaldo. Him, Ronaldo. Ronaldo, uh, you know, he could creep up. Con- as well, I think. Considering how bad Chelsea were this weekend, we didn't talk about them and they got the result. I thought it was probably the worst performance I've seen and you got the result and Lukaku made the goals and got, got himself to. Yeah. I, I, I cannot Story. see him 
not being golden boot this season and Chelsea not but scoring, if you're playing scoring for the first time at Stamford Bridge as well so you yeah. know, that, that was huge for him it was wasn't it you could tell how much it meant to him as well Swartzy mm. yeah exactly no but I, I'll, I'll take it Dave I think the Premier League has always had good strikers you know I think it, it's a great bunch of uh, there, there's a good mix of young and old and uh, but well, you know I, I can't seem to, to not find a season where there hasn't been you know, that great collection of the best strikers in the world. Uh, you know, you're looking outside the Premier League, maybe, all right, Swati, what you've got? But because, uh, you no, know, you're I'm, at I'm just in shock that, that Bridgie didn't mention he, he, he's, he's, <laughs> his man crush. I, I, I just can't believe he didn't even mention him. Like he said, he said straight away, Lukaku, how quickly one can just move on to the next one, huh? Oh, yeah. Totally, it's like um, it's like a girlfriend in the past, you know. Once it's done and dusted, it's over. So um, yeah, he's he's after he said he wanted to go to Man City, it's done, mate. <laughs> it's not really, is it? <laughs> yeah, completely. I've taken his picture off wow. the wall. He'll score no next way. weekend, and Bridget will be drooling again. Adam, my fantasy league team, he's let me down. He's not. He's not getting in next week. I'm going back with Lukaku. Eight seventeen a.m. <laughs> uh, the fourteenth of September. All right, Bridget's again. Got wow. that. Got that down. Written all good. Um, gents, a bit of a fun one to end off with. Trent Alexander Arnold's uh, celebration when <laughs> Mo Salah opened his goal, which was just a subtle little cusp of the ear, finger in the ear, saying, "I can hear you." When the crowd was just telling him beforehand, he was a. Well, I won't use the word, but I'll replace it with a poor man's Kyle Walker. <laughs> what was the most satisfying comeback you guys ever had when uh, you might have been copying a bit of stick, whether it be from the crowd at the time, in the build-up, maybe from the media? Um, do, you, do you have a good yarn to end us off with uh, with, with this one? Because I thought, you know, what a better what be- what way to respond to a crowd than just teeing up Mo Salah like he did. I'll give you give you a quick one for the for the lads. It was first game after I'd signed for Leeds United. It was Derby at home. I was absolutely horrendous. Probably had a, a one star out of ten. Um, and you could hear the, the fans, you know, giving a stick like Christ, five million pound. We've lost Hasselbank. You know, Tommy talked about multipliers earlier on. I was actually seen as a, a, a deductor um, when I signed for Leeds United when they lost Hasselbank. So I had to make a massive point to prove to the fans what you could do. And it wasn't actually the, the Leeds fans in the second game against. Southampton I'd scored two goals away from home we were leading 2-1 thankfully the fans had the Leeds fans that had travelled had thought oh maybe we have got something here and there was a there was a Southampton fan right behind the goal absolutely just hurling abuse at me you freckly skinny bastard you you shit it was just fright it was bleep 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 and I looked at them and I caught eyes of them behind the goal we had a corner kick Ian Hart went out to take it. It would have been an outswinger from his left foot. Um, and I remember catching eyes with a guy and I just pointed at him and said, this one's for you. And as I came, I just had a little glance and header and put it in the back of the net to get the hat trick. And the best part about it was you could see all the people that were around him turned and were like, mate, you've just cost us that. That's because of you abusing him. He just scored a goal <laughs> against us. And it was fantastic because you could see all the lads pile on top of me and I'm just still trying to catch eye contact to give the guy. I didn't even need to give him the bird or give him abuse because all the Southampton fans turned on him in the stand and that, that that was the best way to repay them. It was very similar to Trent, the way he pointed at the fan and just give it to him. I thought it was fantastic. Come on, the keepers. You must have had someone. No, yeah, no, I, I, yeah. no I, I had, uh, when I moved to Aston Villa and, and went back to St. James's Park, uh, Bridges Old Haunting Ground, uh, had a, a, <laughs> booing, a booing session for, for nine, 90 minutes uh, every time I touched the ball uh, and then managed to save a penalty and we won 2-1, uh, 
probably five minutes from time. Who took uh, the penalty? Oh, I think Alan Shearer. Oh, there you go. I'll give you that one. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I, I, I definitely gloated. And why were you getting abuse off the Newcastle fans when you returned from Aston Villa, Tommy? Because of? Uh, and obviously, no, nah, but obviously former Sunderland player. Correct. The hate, the hate there. So Because uh, you got a couple of good results yeah. at St. James's Park for Sunderland. That's why they would have hated you. Yeah, no, I think uh, any Sunderland player. But yeah, there was a, a different, a little bit of a history there with me and, uh, you know, Alan Shearer and uh, some of the Derby games. So yeah, it was a, it's it's always nice when you come out on top of those uh, little in-game, uh, in, in-game things. But, uh, you know, that's what makes football, though. We've all been there. Yeah, I, I haven't got a real story other than the fact that I, when I signed to Fulham, went back to Middlesbrough the second, well, out the second time we played in that season. I mean, the first game we actually played at, at Craven Cottage, we beat them 3-0. I didn't celebrate any of the goals, um, just out of respect, right? So mm-hmm. the ball went out at one stage for a goal kick. I ran over and it was in the section where the Middlesbrough fans were and this guy picked the ball up from about two yards away and threw it at me and it bounced off my chest and he got ejected from the stadium. Anyway, we won 3-0. The return, like the game, obviously later on in the season, we went back up to the Riverside. And every time my name got called out, even pre-match, I got booed. So I was at the club for 12 years, left, went to Fulham, got booed every time I touched the ball. And then um, every time I touched the ball during the game, every time my name was mentioned, I got booed. And then we drew nil-nil, played well. And after the game, the reporters were straight away saying, so how do you feel just costing Middles- uh, Middlesbrough relegation? And I went, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's got nothing to do with me. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, so it's just, just, they didn't have to say anything or do anything. It's just, you know, you play, you play well and, and uh, the rest, the rest uh, does its bit. Dave, I'll, I'll give you a good sledge I got from a linesman once at Stokes Ground. A linesman? It, a linesman. It was a Tuesday night down at Stoke or a Wednesday night. I can't remember. It was bloody freezing as always. And I'd, ret- I'd had my second spell at Sunderland uh, return. So it was a championship game. And I'd gone t- to warm up down the sideline with the two other players. And we're behind the linesman as the ball was played through to Marcus Stewart. And he was caught caught offside by the linesman. He's put his flag up and I've gone, are you kidding? That was never offside. That's a shambles. That's a joke. And the linesman was like, well, at least I got to grace this pitch. I'm not on the bench like you again. And he just ran off up the side. Well, I thought he, <laughs> he, he ran off as, and I couldn't get anything else to say. Well, my two colleagues were absolutely cracking up on the sideline and I got absolutely burned from the, from the linesman. Yeah. So there you go. I, 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 did, I, I think I've said, I've said it before. Anyway, I had won World Cup 2006 when I got dropped for the game against Croatia. Graham Pohl was warming up and, you know, the English referees and linesmen. So they were, they were warming up running around the outside of the pitch. And, uh, and I was, I was doing a bit of a, a warm up with Ante Kovic and, um, I went, I, I, hi, Graham, hi guys. And Graham went, Oh, been dropped. Have we? It's like, I was devastated being dropped. Right. And then he's like, just had a fuel the fire. Oh, oh my God. God. I, I would have loved to seen the smoke come out of your ears. <laughs> oh man. I was fuming. Be and the thing was, right. The thing was, that was the game where he showed, um, uh, I think Simic. Yeah. Simic, is that right? Yeah, Joseph um, Simic, yeah. Yeah, Simic, uh, two yellow cards, or well, three yellow cards. Three yellow he cards. showed him. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, I felt like afterwards, <laughs> I really was tempted after the game to go up to him and say to him, listen, 
I've got no doubt next game we'll be back in, in, in on on the pitch, but you will certainly be on the next plane <laughs> after that performance. I didn't do it though. I, I, I didn't have it in me. I should have. But you regret you regret now. I, <laughs> I regret. I regret. And and to be fair, I also played in his last ever Premier League game and I felt like saying something to him then. But I actually ended in the end, I just blanked him. He said hello to me and I blanked him. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> but you got Good one? Story. Good story. What was that, Bridget? Yeah. I've said uh, any of the Newcastle fans have any chance for you? Like, can you remember what they were? For me? Yeah, any or any of you have No, I actually, all right. The one one other thing that happened to me was we played Sunderland. I don't know if you, that was, I don't know if it was you were playing from at the time, Thomas. I I don't remember. Remember we played him at, we were playing at uh, Stadium of Light. And uh, there's a kid behind the goal, Sunderland fan, yelling out, hey, Schwartz, Schwartz, can I have your top? Can I have your top? And I was like ignoring him, ignoring him. And I thought, oh, he kept going on. He was about 12 years old. I thought, all right, I'll, I'll give him my top, my warm-up top. So I give him my warm-up top, take it over to the, you know, you take it over the stand, give it to him. <laughs> and I turn around and start running away. And this top comes flying past me and just missed my head. And I turn around, the kid's pissed himself laughing and everyone's behind the goal just laughing and going, Way. So you threw it back at you? <laughs> he threw it back at me. He did me a kipper. <laughs> oh, you got to love it. you got to uh, love it. it. How good's that? Uh, That's what I thought I was being nice, you know. I thought, oh, you know why he's a Sunderland fan? I don't care. Uh, like, I, I never... I like the rivalry, right? And I wanted to win, of course, but it wasn't like I didn't hate Sunderland. I didn't hate Newcastle. I just, you know, I wanted Swartzy, to win, of course. That's very reminiscent of this shirt behind me, this AC Milan shirt. That's actually Costa Curtis against yep. uh, when we when we beat Milan at Ellen Road. And I swapped shirts with with him. And he did the same thing. He he, he walked around Ellen Road <laughs> to, to <laughs> and I witnessed him just throw my shirt into the fans. Oh, I was gutted, oh, man. I got oh, it. I know. Yeah. Oh dear. He obviously uh, looked at the number and the name. He thought, "Who the hell is this? I'm not having that one on me wall." But I've got I've, his up. I've got quite a few of those shirts of players that you know, like you would never even know who the players were from teams that you play against. And I remember them coming over and asking for my shirt, and and I would go, "Well, I always found it really bad if I if if it happened to me that you offered a shirt or you asked said no. for a shirt." And they didn't yeah, want it all. Yeah. They didn't even. Well, so ev- I would always say, you know, can I have yours? And I think like, Ronaldo had to. Ronaldo had to give eleven away at the weekend because every Newcastle player went up to him and asked him for his shirt. It was quite embarrassing. He was imagine. like, "I've already given it to Lascelles." Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, that that's a story. Is the jersey collection? That's one we definitely have. maybe we'll save that for the next the next podcast exactly. as well. Jess, that was a good laugh, uh, as as promised. One to end off, which I do want to touch on before we finish off, and it's one we, we don't talk about the J League particularly much on, on the Gang and Pop, but we, I want to ask you, Schwartzy, because this weekend we have Nagoya Grampus up against Yokohama F Marinos, and that is of course Mitch Langerak against Kevin Musket, and Musket's gone there, manager of the month in his first in his first you know, first few weeks of, of, of replacing Ange Postacoglu in Japan. But Mitch Langerak, he's retired from the Socceroos, obviously for family reasons, but 18 clean sheets this week, this season, in 28 games. Broke his own record. Yeah. So he, he, look, he was always a super talented keeper, but he's gone to Japan, had regular minutes, and I, I believe lived up to the promise that, that he's always shown. Can you tell us a little bit about, what, you know, your view of Mitch and, and a tribute to this phenomenal achievement. Why is he retired from international football as well? That's what I want to know. I think, I mean, I think he's obviously got a young family 
Um, and I think also, you know, COVID certainly would probably have an influence on it. Uh, young family being away from home, difficult for family to come and travel back and forth, being apart. Totally understand it. Uh, I, I, I get it. It must have been an incredibly difficult decision for him to make, but I also understand why why he's made it. Um, it's a real shame. I mean, I think, you know, the thing about Australia is, and we've had it for a long, long time, we've had an abundance of top 40 goalkeepers. So there's always been this conveyor belt, or certainly has been for a number of years now. Um, so obviously if Mitch is not available anymore, you've still got Matty Ryan, Danny Vukovic, um, you know, just to name a couple. So there, there is an abundance of, of goalkeepers there and are playing at good level to play. So probably for Mitch, he probably felt, you know what, the the sacrifice of going away, being away from my family without necessarily playing um, was too great to spending time and being with my family. I, and, I, and I, like I said, I totally understand it. And it does give him an opportunity to concentrate and and and, and play, you know, as, as, as best he possibly can for his club side. I, I personally believe it was too early, too soon. Um, but I'm sure he would have had enough, enough conversations with, with Graham Arnold. And, and I think as a player, and you guys will probably vouch for it, you know, whenever you speak to a manager and you're talking about leaving, you're talking about maybe retiring with national teams, whatever it is, depending on the response you get from them will also dictate on, on how you carry on a decision, you know, how you – I mean, I had it with the national team, right? So when I retired from the national team, there was no response from Ange whatsoever. So, like, other than – Actually, I didn't know, didn't hear from him for about three months. So even though it wouldn't have changed my mind, it was just confirmation that it was the right time. And I think for Mitch, you know, I'm sure he would have had those conversations with Arnie. And that may have also been a, a, a factor as to maybe confirmation that it was the right decision for him to make for him personally. Um But it is a great shame. So back to the overall question, why is it? How is it? He's found his place. He's found his his league. He's played. He's found a, a club that believe in him, a manager that believes in him. He feels obviously very much at home, and he's able to produce his best football. We all know when you are happy, when you find a manager that backs you, hundred percent supports you, and teammates have faith in you. It kind of the rest kind of falls in line. It certainly makes it a lot easier to go out there and perform. And Mitch has certainly got that. Well, Nagoya Grampasantis, they're in the top four. They're not necessarily in the title race. Yokohama, Marinos certainly are. They're a point off Kawasaki. Um, they've played a game more, but it's going to be a thrilling race to the finish. And you could have Kevin Musket uh, re- replicating Ange Postlecoglu's achievement coming in, uh, you know, three quarters through the season. That'd be I was going to say, he should, he should cut the trophy up and send three quarters over to Ange at Celtic and say thank you very much. But um, still some achievement to keep yeah. that momentum going. Uh, I'm not sure, Bridgie, because... Uh, obviously, Ange's second season wasn't wasn't you know didn't win the title. Oh, it's um, tongue it's tongue in cheek. I was just being a bit. bit yeah, old. yeah. Uh, listen, I, I think I think yes, absolutely. And 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 Muskie's been very very forward in saying that Ange has brought in his philosophy. The players bought into it, and he's carried it on. So I I I give Muskie a lot a lot of credit for it because. Yeah. How often do you see a manager come in and go right? I need to change so many things because I don't want to people to associate that no, no. team with the previous he's, manager. He's embraced it. He's seen the winning formula. Absolutely. He's embraced it and he's added his own little spice to it, but he Absolutely. hasn't. Yeah. 
Absolutely. So for me, that that in itself deserves an enormous amount of credit. And yeah. if the manager is not good enough and the players don't buy into it, they wouldn't be where they are and they wouldn't have the results that they've had. Yeah. Forget about the previous manager. All, for all that fantastic work that Ange did, Muskie's now taking it forward and he's taking it on to another direction, whether it's another level or not, I don't know. But certainly the players are bought into it and they are performing incredibly well and he's done a tremendous job so far. Well, certainly there's some press out of Japan that um, was quoted on the Optusport app, an article we had a couple of weeks ago that said they're playing arguably uh, as aggressive or even more attacking football than they did under Postacoglu. And uh, you can also read from quotes from Kevin Muscat right now on the Optusport app about how he says you can't you can't avoid the, the presence and the, the, the philosophy that Postacoglu left behind. You walk into Yokohama F Marinos and you can feel it and you can breathe it and and it's there. So that has them right in the in the title race. And just the last thing on Langrak, you know, I'm really pleased. Uh, you know, he's one of my favourite Socceroos to interview. A, a great talker, great, um, a really really good talker and personality. And uh, it's good to see him get this run on the board because perhaps that time he spent in the Bundesliga is one of the more understated uh, stints abroad um, in the last. 10 years, Schwartzy, because, you know, he was involved in that Dortmund team right when they were right up the top of the league um, and now, you know, reaping the benefits of that experience. Yeah, um, certainly. Yeah, certainly great, great groundings, great foundations for his career. The only question, I suppose, is post the Dortmund time mm-hmm. that he didn't, didn't really establish himself um, in Germany, he did. He did well with Falke Stuttgart when in the, in the second Bundesliga. Then they got promoted, and then all of a sudden they brought in another goalkeeper. Mm. So that, that's that whole thing about finding a club manager that believe in you a hundred percent that you're the right person for that job at that particular time. Um, and and that, that was for me the exact same thing when I left Germany. I was in Germany where where things weren't going well. I didn't have a manager that believed in me. So I had to leave. I went to England and I found a manager, I found a club that did. And that gave me a foundation, an opportunity to go out there and perform at the best possible level that I felt that I could. And you, your self-belief grows enormously. And, the, you know, you guys will probably, you know, will also confirm the same. You know, when you have that support and that belief, you can then go on and play at your best. And that certainly happened with me and it certainly is happening now with uh, with Mitch. Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff, gents. You know what? I stopped looking at the clock. I'm enjoying talking to you guys too much. And uh, the beauty is we have uh, we have a lot for our loyal listeners to listen to and enjoy and read about and watch on the Optusport platforms and your podcast platforms over the next week. That's all we've got time for. I'm going to end off with one word from all of you. The Champions League winner this season. We've got to get this down on the record. Don't do it in one word. You know that. I cannot give you one word answer. Well, is that because it's Manchester City? <laughs> No, of t- Tottenham and Tottenham is not in it. Is it? <laughs> no. <laughs> Come on, here we go. I'll go. I'll go from to- my screen goes Thomas Bridgie Schwartzy. So Thomas, you'll go. F- we'll, go- we'll go to you first. Ah uh, no, I, let, let, let's get let get uh, PSG to the top. You know that would be fantastic to see those three uh, lift the trophy. So uh, PSG. That's Contro- not one word. It's three letters. Control yourself, Mister Wiener. Here, control yourself. Sit down. <laughs> Chelsea yet again, and I'm going to say oh. Chelsea can do the treble or the quadruple this season. This the squad depth that they have, the quality they have, and the manager. I'm going to, I'm, I've got them going for everything, mate. There you go. How good is, how good is the Gagan Pod? Seriously, it's just gone to another level this year. Un- unbelievable, unbelievable predictions, Bridgie. And that's from a so-called Tottenham fan as well, isn't it? I just, I admire what Tuchel has done, and I just think Chelsea. I, I really love what they've done in getting Lukaku in. 
that brilliant. I, I, I said it. I said at the beginning of the season. I, I fancy Chelsea to win the league if they get Lukaku. Obviously, they've 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 got him, um, and he's already he's already producing. I, I, I don't see that changing. The and I said it. I think I said it before as well. Is that the, the Tuchel's biggest challenge is managing that squad of players. He did it at PSG. There's, and he did it. He did it last season at Chelsea. There's no reason why he can't do it now. So, yeah, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna say someone right now, and I have to say someone, I'm gonna I'm also gonna say Chelsea. Wow, there you go. Right. And I'm just gonna let, let's, let's get a pay, PSG Chelsea final. Let's go. And, and yourself, Dave. Who who am, who am I? Who am I to go against? Two <laughs> Seriously, I've been building to this for the last three years. Here we go. We've got the. We've, we've got all the. <laughs> Brilliant. But, but you know, that's why. That's why I can't is, say Chelsea. That's why. Yeah, I can't yeah, there's say any one Chelsea. of probably six teams certainly at this moment in time. You you have a valid argument to say are going to win the championship all day long. Totally. Yeah, so so it's that close. Um, you know, I mean, and, and you've just other- got to look at Barcelona's front three. I mean, oh, tell you, oh no, no, they're, they're not there anymore. <laughs> oh, I said six because they're like in the top eight. I think. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, betting. actually, if you want to read a good piece, there is a piece on the Optusport app that talks about Newcastle and Middlesbrough fans looking at Barcelona and going, "Is your strike force Braithwaite and De Jong?" <laughs> It's a well, jump on and have well, a look. It's a brilliant. You know, pick. you know, Braithwaite's out now, isn't he? Yeah. He's out for a couple of months, I reckon. So. Oh, I better get the boots back on. I'll tell you what. So I'll yeah. get that. Get the West the jersey. There it is. There. Right. Uh, they're, not, they're not that desperate, mate. Oh. <laughs> Window's gone. Boys, we might wrap it up there. I don't. I don't know if the podcast can hold a show this long, but who cares? It, it's it's been a, about a great time, and um, there's a lot of football to enjoy over the next week. And um, we'll be back to do it all again next week. Thomas, Bridgie, Sportsy, thanks for your time. Stay safe, stay well, and uh, to everyone out there, thanks for your company as ever. And until the next episode of the Gang of Pod, make sure you enjoy your football. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.